You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode number 209 of the Make It British podcast. So if you're listening to this episode on the day that it goes out, it's Christmas Eve. Happy Christmas. I hope you're going to have some time off with your friends and family over this festive season. Please make sure that you take care of yourself because 2021 is a year that no one wants to repeat. And you've certainly earned some time off over Christmas. And I'm certainly looking forward to spending some time with my family too. So before I introduce today's guest, I just want to let you know that doors are currently open to my group coaching program. We've been working with a small group of clients over the last year and the results that they have achieved have been amazing. They never cease to amaze me. We've not only helped them to develop new products, introducing them to some of the UK's best manufacturers, but we've also worked with them to help them do things like shift their existing stock, analyse their costings to help them raise their prices, launch new websites, and even work with them on their email campaigns. We literally look at your whole business ecosystem. And as well as the one-to-one coaching calls, we also have group workshops too, which are so much fun. I'm not sure how long we will keep enrolment open for as we can only take on a certain amount of people at a time so that we can really focus on those businesses. So if you are looking for help with your business and you make in the UK or you want to, then it costs absolutely nothing to apply and it only takes a couple of minutes. Just go to katehills.co.uk forward slash apply and you can find all the details. So now let's get on to the main part of the show. Today, I'm chatting with Shanna Bent, who is the founder of conscious fashion brand Maison Bent. Having previously worked with Alexander McQueen, Roland Murray, Agent Provocateur, in 2019, Shanna set up her own luxury label with a determination to bust the myth that black designers just do streetwear. Shanna's had a lot of success in a short space of time, from showing at London Fashion Week to capturing the attention of the press and featuring in publications such as Italian Vogue. In this interview, she talks about how she's got press for her fashion brand and how her Jamaican grandparents, who came to the UK during the Windrush era, have had a massive impact on her outlook on life and her business. I hope you enjoy this interview with Shanna Bent from Maison Bent. So, Shanna, thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Kate. So we met originally back at the beginning of 2021 on Clubhouse, which seems like a long distant memory now (laughs) that everyone was on audio. It was fun while it lasted and it was great in lockdown. Yeah. Are you still on it? 
I've deleted my no. app. I need to go back. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I've been there for such a long time. But what really was, what was really good is making connections with people like you mm. that I might not have found out about otherwise. And you were always great at having that conversation about sustainability and design mm. and all that sort of thing. So I want to cover some of that today. But first, let's backtrack sure. about um, what, where did you start? How did your brand come about? Firstly, tell people what the name of your brand is. And what's yeah, your background? Sure. Yeah, sure. So I'm Shanna Bent. I'm founder and designer of Maison Bent. Uh, Maison Bent produces like co- conscious luxury clothing for the city chic lady that wants to buy better. Um, so how did this all come about? Um, I went to fashion school a long time ago now. Um, went to Central St. Martins for my foundation, then went on to London College of Fashion. Um, during these years, I was able to get some industry experience working for amazing companies such as Alexander McQueen, Rana Murray, Agent Provocateur, um, which then eventually led me to launching my own brand. So I actually launched a brand in 2016. There was no planning behind it. Um, it kind I eventually fell out of love with it because it was very far removed from my personal identity. Ending off 2019, I said, you know what, it's time for a rebrand. And I said, I'm going to make it as personal as possible. I'm just going to use my name because I like my name. It represents me. It represents my background, my heritage. And then shortly after, I did my first ever solo presentation for London Fashion Week. Um, and then, yeah, it's just been growing ever since. Oh, wow. You make it all sound so easy. You're like, oh, and then I did it's a presentation. It's not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dig into that a little bit then as well. So because going from working for those sorts of designers and then launching your own brand and getting to London Fashion Week so quickly, mm. there's more than just luck there. What are some of the things you put down to your success, it, especially as you've been going such a short amount of time? Yeah, it's consistency, Kate. Um, absolute consistency. Um, I was actually thinking about this today, like just staying really like, just having that tunnel vision instead, because you're going to come across people all the time that are like, Shanna, your studio is so expensive. How are you affording this? Is your return of investment worth it all the time, believe it or not? And it's like, yes, it is. You don't see my long term vision. It's going to kick off. It's going to work. So you just have to keep keep at it and don't listen to mm. external opinions. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Because, I mean, you look very young. You're, you're certainly young. I'm not young. that young. <laughs> Should I reveal my age? Born in 1990. It's... Oh, gosh, you look loads. <laughs> you look amazing for your age then. Yeah. <laughs> I know people Brilliant. think I'm much younger. I still go into shops. They're like, are you a student? Do you want a student discount? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I would like the student discount if you want to give it to me. <laughs> But the fashion business is tough, mm. like for anyone starting a new brand and then getting to London Fashion Week so quickly. I mean, how did you go from working for those other designers to then creating your collection and actually getting it made? Because am I right in saying you get everything made in the UK? I get everything made in the UK. The majority of it I actually make myself. Um, so ah. what happened? <laughs> yeah. So what happened? Um so after all my internships, um, so those names that I mentioned, they're only just a few. I've actually done many other internships as well. Um, I then went into full-time employment because after that, um, I was sick and tired of being a broke fashion student. I said, I want to go into full-time work. I said, I just want to have like an office job. I just want to make easy money, as they say. Um, and then I just saved. I saved and saved and saved. 
until eventually I said, okay, well, I really still love um, the fashion industry. I want to have my own brand. That's been my dream from a young girl. Um, and I just bought my own materials. When I was working full time, though, um, I did actually have someone making my stuff for me. So I had um, an external, um, not many, like a samplist, we can say, but I would yeah. make my own patterns to like cut down the cost. So I would make my own patterns, cut them out, send them off to this guy in North London. He would then make it for me. Um, that eventually got pushed out, um, had my website, worked with a few influencers. Um, but there was no plan behind it and it eventually fizzled out. It was also quite, um, it was very far removed from my personal identity and I eventually fell out of love with it. Um, and yeah, so that's how it kind of happened. Just that I saved, I saved money because I didn't yeah. have like an investment from my family. Um, it's done an investment, um, just really saved art skin for help from friends. Um, you know, I don't think I would have gotten the brand this far if it wasn't for my friends and my social network if I'm honest yeah so you pulled in connections which is what you need to do isn't yeah. it when you start in the industry and and I think things pay off in the long run that. yeah I don't I don't think people mm. realize that um so actually so before sorry I forgot to mention as well so I actually um did a bit of journalism um before launching my brand so I was a writer for a magazine so from that experience of going to fashion shows going to fashion parties and meeting all these amazing people that eventually became my friends. Um, yeah, I, I just wouldn't have been able to do it. Ah, so that's interesting then about the journalism, mm. because I've seen that you've had a lot of press, mm. which a lot of people feel like they need to get an agency on board. to get I, That was my them. plan. That was my plan. I said, in order to launch my brand, I need a PR agency. And I'm like, how else am I going to do it? And then um, what happened from... I think I'm from the presentation. I think if I didn't do the presentation, people wouldn't have taken me seriously. Um, so I said, I actually mentioned this in my um, my press course, actually. I think people really focus on you once they see that you can do things in physical form because there's so much traffic in the online world um, and only a few people um, can actually come together to do these physical events because it is really pricey and it takes a lot of work and effort. Um, and then, yeah, just, just inviting people, just trying to like invite everyone that, you know, um, I just, I bit the bullet so many times and trying to get, um, um, people to sponsor like a drink sponsor, food sponsor. And it was via the Jamaica patty company. I invited her cause I loved her stuff. Um, and she provided patties for the event. And it was through her that I got um, my feature in the, I think the Jamaica observer because she had a connection. Um, and then it was through someone else that I've got another mention somewhere. So you just don't know. So you obviously have these connections and you've used those, but do you also actively reach out to journalists and, and how do you pick which publications you're going to reach out to and which have been the most, um, which have moved the needle the most in your business as well? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did reach out. I have re been reaching out to loads of journalists. Um, can I, I think this, okay, let me just like do a revelation. I think the Black Lives Matter movement helped to put Maison Bent um, in the forefront of a lot of people. Um, I think if the movement didn't happen last year, I don't think the brand would have gotten as much exposure as it did. Um, so <laughs> I actually saw on social media that a lot of um, journalists that I had connected with via Fashion Week were looking for black owned brands during that time. And I was like, oh, my God, okay, yeah, I'm a black-owned brand. Let me email you. And I was like, oh, it's a trendy thing at the moment. Everyone wants to know black-owned businesses. So I literally got everyone's contact details. I sent a message out to everyone. And I was like, oh, finally, now you're listening to me. 
because so th- because so they should too. Yeah, and because it was a trending topic at the time. So this is actually what I mentioned in my course, that you really need to keep an eye out on what is trending at the time and really um, focus your press release on that topic, even if your brand isn't really in that field of what's happening in society at that moment, but try to make your press release really relatable and current. And relevant, yeah, that's so true. Yvette, I read actually somewhere about you that what you're trying to do is break down the misconception that black people only have streetwear brands as well, which I think is a really interesting point tell me a bit more yeah. about that well it's just something that I kept hearing from when whilst I was at fashion uni believe it or not um and from my peers as well it was just something that people well tutors would actually tell you like oh black people don't buy luxury I think you should go more down the street wear line honestly yeah gosh yeah yeah, yeah honestly yeah it was it's, it's quite shocking and I think um at fashion school as well it's all about um personal taste and style and I think all of this is very um uh, what's the word? It just depends on you, like who is the god of determining what good taste and good style is. Um, so you know, if your if your tutor or your lecturers aren't they they they're not familiar with like your background or your kind of cultural doings, if they don't if they don't understand you, it's deemed as bad. If that makes sense. Yeah, and tutors. I remember my tutor when I was at fashion school. I mean, I won't even say what some of the things she said to me, but yeah, got it completely wrong. But it sticks with you as well because they're it like does. your teachers, your mentors. You look aren't up they? to them. You look, you literally yeah. look up to them. I remember like just looking up to all these, like the creative director. Um, you know, they're, they're amazing people. But yeah, like if they say something like really negative to you, you do really take it to heart, don't you? And it just stays yeah. with you in your head. Yeah. I remember my tutor was called Pepita de Foot. What a name. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it's fashion. I don't think it was her real name. Um, so back yeah. to you then. So you're, you've got a fascinating background because your pa- your grandparents, is that right? Your grandparents came over mm-hmm. from Jamaica during the Windrush era. Yeah. How has that shaped your business and how you design? Um, it's. I'll say to everyone that my grandparents basically reflect my identity. Um. I, I still live with my grandparents, and oh, so, wow. yeah, That's sweet. <laughs> and it, it's rare, right? Not many people do. Um, no. And yeah, like like I said, you know, in 2019, I was like, I just want to make the brand about me and like my upbringing and what do I identify with the most? And it is actually my Jamaican background. Um, I used to spend like every single summer there growing up, um, sometimes twice a year. We have so much family out there, and I think it, it is it does it has molded my identity. Like, yes, I'm a British. Jamaican girl. I was born here, but a lot of my identity does resonate with Jamaica, St. Elizabeth. And so, yeah, my, my grandparents teach me everything about it. You know, every single day they teach me or, or share with me like different stories of their upbringing. My grandma's always telling me about like the little house he was in when he was growing up and it had like a straw roof and, you know, like all these things. Like, oh my God, you lived in a cave. Um, <laughs> it just seems so, so crazy now. And yeah, I think that their story is so beautiful. And so I just want to kind of share that and reflect it through Maison Ben because Maison Ben, uh, it is, it's going to be like our family's legacy. And that's what I want it to reflect. You touched on a really good point there as well about it, but the brand being about your story, because I think <clears throat> that's what small businesses that make in the UK really mm. can do is focus on um, that whole story, be it a background like yours or be it about the, you know, the provenance of where their products are made. So, yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. 
Um, but I know you're also the other side of your brand that you talk about a lot is mm. sustainability, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is something you don't often associate with luxury. They don't often go hand in hand, certainly with the big luxury brands. So how are you helping to it's crazy, kind of isn't it? change? But it should yeah. go hand in hand. It's crazy. Like I honestly, I believe that if it, a luxury item should be sustainable. It, otherwise, in my head, it's not luxury because it's damaging, it's polluting. That To me, that's not luxury. Um, and I think nowadays, I think different people have different associations with that word. Um, I think some people think, oh, luxury means it's, you know, just really expensive. Um, <laughs> other people associate it with um, like celebrity endorsements or it's, it's, it's just a really, it's a really weird, weird, weird word. And I think it has lost its meaning over time. So focusing on sustainability then, it's mm -hmm. for you, it's, is it about using sustainable materials? I mean, what, what is it with your brand that you um, say this, the sustainable parts of your brand? Mm. Yeah, I believe um, every brand, they can be sustainable in different ways. Um, for Maison Fence, I really have, um, I, I don't like plastics. I feel like, you know, just under, like doing your own research, understanding the contribution to plastic waste and the environment and the world um, and understanding just, you know, plastic will never go away. It's always going to be there. Um, so I completely refrain from making anything from plastic. Everything is made from organic, natural fibers. Um, I want my customers and the wearer of Maison Bent to have these items in the wardrobes for generations to come, just like how I wear my grandma's clothes from like the 50s and the 60s now. I want that to happen with Maison Bent. And then once they are finally not in use anymore or they get so worn down and so, you know, not not able to amend anymore that they will disintegrate back into the earth because mm. otherwise it doesn't it will just make me feel really bad knowing that my whatever I'm producing is going to cause just that for the environment to to worsen and to contribute to co2 emissions um so yeah for my conscience yeah everything has to be made from natural fibers yeah, did I also see that you're doing something with vegan leather or vegan leather-like materials? Ta-da! I've got my new Oh, look, holders. here's one she made earlier. Did <laughs> My new vegan card holders. So, yeah, so um, as well as clothing, I really want to go into accessories as well. And so I've been looking into all these amazing innovative fibers. You know, these are made out of apple, like apple wastage. Um, there are like fibers made out of like pineapples as well, cactus, mushroom, like all these innovative, amazing materials. Um, they're still in their kind of um, development phase. So the kind of fabric that you see now isn't like the end fabric, um, if you know what I mean. Um, it's not 100% made from apples or other kind of materials involved in making it. But I feel like we have to kind of support these materials in order for it to get to 100% made from apple fiber, pineapple fiber, because inevitably, it can actually replace plastics and actually leather as well. If you don't, I don't personally like to use leather. Um, so hopefully like these kind of fr fruit based fibers can replace all of these. Yeah. How did you find that material in the first place? Um, they reached out to me. <laughs> I think that I heard about it. Um, I heard about apple leather, I think just online. Online, I think. I've, I've just been seeing, um, um, yeah, just advertisements for it. And I've seen like other brands also starting to use it as well. And then miraculously, it always happens. Um, I just got an email from someone. He was like, oh, yeah, we do like leather goods. I'm like, 
I don't use leather. Do you do any like plant-based fibers? We're like, oh yeah, actually we have a company just down the road from us that you produce apple leather. It'll be really, really good. I was like, okay, sure. Let's try it. So this is actually the first batch. It's going really uh, well, so it, for, for those listening and also for mm -hmm. myself, because I've never felt it, what does it feel like compared to what type of leather does it feel like? Oh, I'm not really good with like my, I think it's quite soft. Maybe um, like a goat rather, skin. Like a goat, not not as um, not as soft as goat skin. I believe it feels like cow, like cowhide. Calf. Yeah. But yeah, yeah made from apple. Yeah, it's sturdy. Yeah. Other people are like, oh my god, yeah, it feels so much like leather. Hmm. It looks great with yeah. the embossing on it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm hoping to Just also go into like handbags as well eventually. So people listening to this will have to also watch the video recording so they can see you holding those up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you also rent out your collection, don't you? Which I thought was interesting because I know there's a lot of websites that offer a rent service, but for a designer to do it directly from their own website. Yeah, I haven't seen it before. Like, yeah, I hadn't seen oh, it that, before. I was like, no. why are people doing this? So Makes total sense. Yeah, so yeah. Maison Ben is on a few rental websites. Um, the rental websites that um, we're on, they were actually taking like a large cut. And it was also sometimes really weird to see what rentals were going out. Um, so on the back of that and feeling kind of exploited to an extent, I said, I'm just going to offer it myself. Why am I yeah. giving you my customers? And you're not telling you're not telling me, you know, what's being rented and how much I'm being owned. So, yeah, I'm just, well, I'm just doing it myself on the website. So here we are. And and I thought that was really good because you said on your website, and if you decide you want to keep your Maison Bed of, yeah. uh, rental, just yeah. let us know and we'll, yeah, you can pay yeah. off the balance. Yeah. What a great idea. Has yeah. anyone done that yet in terms of I've worn it, everyone said I looked amazing in it, yeah. I'm going to keep it? <laughs> Almost, but not yet. <laughs> I have had someone who's like, oh my gosh, Shana, I wore your dress and everyone was commenting on it. Every single corner I turned, everyone was like giving me so many compliments. They loved it. Um, but yeah, no one's actually kept it yet. <laughs> I've created like items for people, but yeah, no one's actually kept it yet on the um, the rental side. But it's, yeah, it's a great way to kind of um, test it out before you actually make yeah. the plunge and actually purchase it yourself. So do you? So you obviously you get the product back in, and then do you have to dry clean it? Obviously, yeah. so there's an expense involved. How many times do you think you could rent out the same product? It um, all depends. So I'm quite. Honestly, so I'm quite particular with my clothing and it all depends on like where the person's wearing it to. So if they're only renting it for like a photo shoot and the model's only wearing it for like an hour or so and their armpits don't smell, <laughs> um, so then it's fine. Like, it, you know, you can send it off to the next person, spray it with um, disinfectants. I have like a fabric disinfectant spray that I use for all of like my um, press pulls. Um, but then if, you know, someone's worn it for like an entire event, they've been eating in it, there's food stains, it, yeah, so it all, it all depends on the usage. Yeah, so there may be, mm. um, at, at that point, I suppose, you must, you'll have to take it out of rental and then put it through, would you then have a sample sale or something? Yeah, eventually, yeah. So that's, that's, that, that would be the next thing. Um, yeah, and kind of like in my business plan at the moment for the next year. So, of course, you know, I know not these items won't be able to go on rent for, for a long time. Um, so, yeah, eventually then they will end up in a sample sale. Yeah. Oh, that's my dogs now attacking. <laughs> now attacking each other. Oh, brilliant. Oh, there's two of them. <clears throat> yeah, I've got one, uh, oh, a four-year-old, and then a puppy. Yeah. Oh, 
Um, they're they're <laughs> under my feet. I'll, in a minute, I'll pick them up and I'll show yeah, it to you. Yeah, I want to see. Yeah. Um, so you also do made to order as well. Then I suppose you can offer that if you're it's making things in house. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. How does that work out with doing that as well as also doing the ready to wear? Um, so there isn't actually any ready to wear pieces yet. Um, so we're actually launching ready to wear next year. Um, ah. the, yeah. So the reason behind that is just because you know that having things made it costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of money for one and also the minimum order quantities are often really high um, however I have found UK manufacturers who are able to make small quantities so that is where Maison Bent is going um, but the made to order um, part of it is like it's kind of like um, a replacement for ready to wear at the moment yeah Oh, it's good that you found manufacturers. That's brilliant. Did you find them on Clubhouse as well? <laughs> Did I find them on Clubhouse? Just through word of mouth. Through word of yeah. mouth and asking, asking around and doing my own research. Because mm. there's so many people like have their differences in terms of like how many pieces they can make, um, their turnaround times, what they're able to do as well. So, of course, different manufacturers specialise in like different things. So it's, it's been like a really interesting process to see. It's quite... It, it, it's hard work, you know, finding the right manufacturer for you. Um, but yeah, it's all down to um, your own research. Yeah, I mean, that's how we help people as well, sort of connect them. Because like you just said, it totally depends on personalities, whether, you know, who, whether you'll get on with a certain manufacturer, that's what their capabilities well. are. And you've got a lot of tailoring within your collection. And yeah. that is one of the most labour intensive things. Oh, yeah. It's the really advanced but the, yeah but the advantage you've got though is that you know how long it takes you to make each piece mm. so that when you go to a manufacturer and they quote you a price on something you've got mm. a good idea about how many minutes it takes or you should have yeah, exactly you, yeah 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 absolutely. All out? yeah absolutely so like if you know they can give me their price if I know it's going to be cheaper to do all the cutting and pattern cutting myself and sizing in-house then that's something to also consider and to kind of you know bargain with the manufacturer and say you know we can actually do this ourselves um do you mind if we can like send you the ready cut pieces which will also bring the cost down but i know some places are a bit funny about that and want to do everything themselves in-house yeah it depends i suppose that's again about having those conversations yeah. with them and seeing what they want to do yeah mm. where do you source most of your fabric from is it uk based fabric uk or you yeah import? yeah yeah i work with them a lot of um, british mills especially for the wools um, yeah. So wools are used a lot in the collection just because they're trans-seasonal. You know, that wool can be, if you use the right wool, it can be quite cooling in the summer as well as being really warm in the winter. And, um, yeah, I just love the idea of having things being sourced close to home. I like to know when my order is coming, where it's coming from, and just, you know, just the kind of having the settled mind, knowing that it's not being transported from thousands of miles across the world. And um, I don't know when I'm going to get it, if I get an immediate order tomorrow, how long is it going to take? Um, so yeah, it's ma mainly for convenience and peace of mind. Plus we make the best wool fabric in the world. I mean, I I'm slightly so. biased. <laughs> Yeah, we do. And um, and it's good that you're supporting the, the local mills as well. That's really good. Yeah. Have you been to visit any yet? I haven't. So I don't drive. So once I get my vehicle, then I want to be going outside of London and visiting everyone because I've, I've come across quite a few amazing companies um, as well as as well as the clothing. I also want to go into accessories. I've, I spoke to you about this before with like the wool scarves and come across so many like they're really nice. I reached out to two of the companies you mentioned 
And um, one of them, Brilliant. one of them in particular, yeah, one of them in particular is like super, super nice, super responsive. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to go and see eventually. Yeah. When I go to factories, often I don't drive. I usually get on the train Mm. and I will work out a little route on Google Maps where they all are. And then I'll say to the first, I'll work out what the order is. And I'll say to the first one, would you mind picking me up from the station? Oh, really? And then then it's a knock-on chain effect from there. So, you know, just getting each one to drop you off at the next. um, Yeah. Yeah, so you'd be surprised quite often. Oh, okay. They'll have someone that can help you. Yeah. Don't let it stop you going to visit manufacturers. Yeah, that, that's, that's good advice. Thanks, Kate. I'll give that and a go. better for the environment as well. Yeah. Out in a country. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. <laughs> Though I have to say, I've not done a Scottish trip yet. I really do need to go and it's see. It's a bit far, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I'm a warm weather girl. And it's always oh like, my God, oh, it's freezing. <laughs> so cold. I literally oh, went once year. when I was 17. And it was the middle of summer. And I remember having to go to a local wool shop to buy a hat and scarf because it was so cold yes especially if your heritage is from jamaica oh as well you used to going gosh. out there on holiday I must look like all the a time, crazy yeah. person you know everyone's just all in their t-shirts i'm like wrapped up in my coat <laughs> midsummer yeah but that's why they're so good at knitwear and warm weather products up there exactly yeah. <laughs> um <clears throat> Okay, so just um, a final question then. You you touched earlier what your kind of long-term plans are, but where do you see Maison Bent being in five years' time? Oh, my God. So, like, the ultimate goal is for Maison Bent to eventually be a heritage brand. I'm all about longevity, Kate. You know, I feel like there's so many brands that um, that have, like, really fast growth, um, but they might – I'm not saying they will, but they might wear out, like – within like two, five years time, just because they're like that trendy brand. Um, they're very, very current and they, because they keep up with the trends, they, it's, it's not long-term. Whereas Maison Ben, I want it to be long-term. I want it to last forever. I want it to be that brand that you can see wearing the pieces throughout throughout decades. I want it to last. So yeah, that is the end goal for Maison Ben to be a heritage brand. British made with Jamaican heritage. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And made to last. Yeah. I mean, how do you think we can encourage more people to buy products that are made to last, particularly fashion products that are made to last? Or should yeah. I say clothing rather than fashion? How, yeah. how do we educate people to do that, do you think? I think it works up to us to continue educating people because that's something that I've um, realised that many consumers don't know how their clothes are actually made. And the clothes that they see on like, the really cheap, sites for like five pounds for a whole dress that's insane nothing nothing should cost five pounds that means they didn't pay anyone to make that item that means that the fabric that they're using is really bad yeah <laughs> yeah it takes hours people need to know that it actually takes like five hours to make a simple a-line dress you know from cutting the fabric to pattern cutting to putting it all together to finishing the lining it's a lot of time. If you consider the minimum hourly wage, it, for now that the minimum wage is like ten pounds, like the youngest person, right? So yeah. imagine that. Like, so if someone isn't being paid the minimum wage to make an item, you know, it's not a good thing, and we should not be promoting it. Well done. Well said. Really well said. That's a great note to end on, Shanna. Where <laughs> can everyone? Where can everyone find you and follow you? Um, what are the best places for them to see you? Yeah. Um, 
So you can head, can head, head, you can head over to the Maison Bent website, www.maisonbent.com or follow me on social media, Maison Bent official. Um, my personal page is miss.bent. Um, so yeah, do give us a follow. Fantastic. And are you showing at London Fashion Week next season? It's a bit close. Um, I might not be showing in February. I might have another event, but I am hoping for September something to take place then. Brilliant. Oh, well, good luck with everything, Shanna. I think your brand is amazing and you've Thanks done so, so much well for your so support. Far. Oh, and thank you for coming on the Make It British podcast. I'm glad. Thank you. I can't wait to see it. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Friday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. Many of the interviews that you hear on series four of this podcast are also available to watch on our YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com forward slash make it British LTD. That's make it British with the letters LTD. Bye bye. Bye.